Good evening, everyone. Today's, tonight's class is titled, Can We Limit the Limitless? Or do we have the ability to constrain and limit Hashem? You know, whenever a Jew says, I'm touching Hashem, if a Jew says, I'm grasping the Torah, and he feels he's grasping Hashem, that's actually, actually a limitation on God. So it's not a compliment. It's actually perhaps the opposite. When we say we have Hashem, that's perhaps a negative thing. And actually that makes sense. <laughs> More than physical. You've been affirmed. Didn't Hashem do it seem yeah, so to make yeah. it almost, almost understandable to humans? I mean, that's going to be part of the tonight's class. A absolutely, tonight's class will be will be recorded. Does anyone uh, have any any protest? Okay. I do. No. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, we're not I'll supposed to set conditions on Hashem and uh, say we will do this if you will do this uh, or that or whatever. That He will do what He does, and He never, very, almost never, allows that to take place. But there's one instance in the Torah, and I can't remember it right now, but there's also the circle guy. What's his name? Choyni Hamagol. Huh? Choyni. Honey. Honey, uh, he pulled it off. And so that's one example where he was able to. Okay. Uh, thank you, thank you David. What? What's that have to do with anything? It has to do with this. That we have to understand in advance that God allows himself to be subject to conditions when he, when and if he allows it. It is not a vehicle of us, it is a vehicle of him. And that when he does it, is it under extremely exceptional circumstances. And I'm glad to have had the opportunity to enlighten you. The Gemara says, <laughs> I'll repeat the words because they're very special words. When you think you've grasped the greatness of God, there you've actually touched the ultimate humility. That means the second you think you understand Hashem, you're actually seeing the greatest amount of humility that Hashem has to allow you to think so. Mm. You, or, or I should say, I, a mortal, a physical being, think I understand Hashem. It's a joke. In that moment, actually, I'm touching upon the humility of Hashem to allow me mm. to come to that feeling, to come to that understanding. Mm. But it's a real feeling. There's two, there's two methods of giving to the second person. Or let me repeat that. There's two methods of being able, being able to break something down and give it over to another. Number one, a teacher. A teacher takes something, he breaks it down and gives it to someone else. He's taken an item, he's actually broken it down. He's giving him less than what he has in his mind. He's condensed it for that person, but that, when he condensed it, he actually removed. That's one method. That's the normal method. The second method is like the power that a father has in his child. Fathers don't become pregnant. But nonetheless, Thank God. nonetheless, what the father has given to the child, he has given his essence. Mm. 
There's nothing lacking from that. And the, the second method, so the first method of a teacher, the teacher has broken down what he wants to give over, but a father hasn't broken anything down. The full essence is there. And that is called, and in the words of the Tanya, we're, go, we're going to refer to it as, let me just find the words, and we'll see it inside momentarily. He's co compressed his will. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Let, sorry, we'll call it hidden stages. We'll call it hidden stages. Hidden stages is going to be a reference to how we could hide everything. Caesar Hamadrega is how we could hide everything within. Meaning that Hashem, when He is going to hide Himself in the Torah, His whole essence is in the Torah. Not like a teacher. I apologize. Not like a teacher who when he gives something over, he's actually breaking it up and removing. No. When Hashem puts his essence in the Torah, his whole essence is, is, is in the Torah like a father in the creation of a child. So when, I, when we started off, is, is, are we limiting the limitless? <laughs> it's the opposite. The limitless is limiting. Hashem is limiting himself. Hashem wants himself to be limited. Let's see this inside. We say, It's the word itself illuminate. When we see the words, hopefully that will give us inspiration and we'll have more clarity. Are there any questions before we do this inside? I'm thinking I do, but I haven't formulated it yet. Good. So let's see it inside and then probably by then you'll have some questions. We're in our Tanya. In the Tanya we're on page 16. On the left-hand column, and although. Page 16, left-hand column, and although. In your handouts, well, that's fine. There's handouts on the or you could share, but there are handouts on the Bima. In your hand, it's on page 2, middle of the second paragraph, it says, and although. Please raise your hand just to confirm you have the page. You, you have the uh, place. Perfect. Perfect. And so until now, if you remember, we said that the garments of the Torah is greater than our soul. We said when we learn Torah, we're actually touching the essence of God which is not concealed and our soul is concealed. Learning Torah allows us to connect to Hashem in a, in a greater connection than our soul itself has. So now we're going to try and understand how could you say God is revealed in the Torah? In something limited? <laughs> God, when I learn if an ox gores a human being such and such, God is inside of that knowledge? If I go ahead and learn that if a man borrows money with interest to a Jew, he's, God is inside of this, of this talk. And that's what we're going to see now. And although the Holy One, blessed is He, is called Ainsof Infinite, and His greatness can never be fathomed, we're now going to give three proofs that God Himself is greater than our understanding, and then we're going to continue with three more proofs that God's will, His Ratzon, and His wisdom, His Chachma, are greater than us. So in total, we're now going to quote six sources that we have no connection to God and His understanding. Number one, His greatness can never be fathomed. That's a quote from Isaiah 40, 28. 
No thought can, can apprehend him at all. And that's a quote from the Zohar. We started off earlier, we said God is ain't so, he's infinite. And so are also his will and his wisdom as it is written. This is a quote from, from Isaiah. There is no searching of his understanding. <clears throat> can you find God by searching? A quote from Eoyev. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Again, a quote from Isaiah. Six proofs that our thoughts, uh, we, are so far away from God. So how could it be that by learning Torah we're touching God, we're connecting with God, God isn't coming inside of us? Nevertheless, and this is a secret, it's literally, this is it. It is in this connection that it has been said, where you find the greatness of the Holy One, blessed is He, there you also find His humility. Like I mentioned before, if you think you see God's greatness, you're actually seeing His humility. The greater we are, people who are really great. Has everyone heard the story? True story. There was a man who considered himself the chief rabbi of America and Canada. And he once had to testify in court. And he went to court, and the judge called him up, saying that he is the chief rabbi of America. And he corrected the judge and said, and Canada. <laughs> so the judge says, he says, Rabbi, a little humility. He says, I'm under oath. <laughs> he said, I'm under oath. Rabbi, I have a question. Please, let me just finish this thought. And then, the greater we are, we're not willing to remove our greatness. And Thank you. When Hashem allows us to think we understand His greatness, it's a concealment over there we're seeing God's humility. Yes. Isn't God already inside of us just like we're inside of God. We, we have permeable, our skin isn't even a barrier. I mean, we're like a fish living in God, like a fish lives in water, except the fish too. God is inside of it. The water is inside. So Hashem is everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so what's the question? Well, the question is, why, why for us to see God, God has to humiliate God's self. For We're us? We're already inside. We are all a part of God. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we can understand God. Right. And when we think we understood God, no. that is limiting God. And, that, and the fact that Hashem allows us to think we understand Him, okay. that's out of humility. That's a good one. <laughs> if, if I may presume, he doesn't humiliate himself, he humbles himself. I think it's an important Yes, thing. yes, absolutely. For the Holy One, blessed is he, has compressed his will and wisdom within the 613 commandments of the Torah and in their laws. So we're going to list a few things that Hashem is clearly within. Number one, when we learn the mitzvot and their laws, Halacha. We say Hashem is in the Dalit Amot Shel Halacha. Hashem is clearly amongst Halacha. As well as within the combination of the letters of the Torah, the books of the prophets and the writings, Tanakh. And in the exposition, Minagada um, and Midrashim of our rabbis of blessed memory. So in these three specific items, we're saying 
that God is completely found in His essence in Halakha. If you read Tanakh, the Torah, the, the three sections of the Torah, and finally, in the Midrash and Agadah, we're not going to discuss it here, but at, later, at a later point, and actually we have a sign um, from a quote regarding the Midrash right over there in that corner, the secrets of the Torah are actually in the Midrash and in Agadatah Gemara. Agadatah is the homiletic, am I saying it correctly? Homiletic. 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 Homiletic parts of the Talmud. At times they're very hard to understand, but in, within these sections of the Talmud are the biggest secrets of the Torah. So in these three sections God is found. Most. Of course He's everywhere. What about... Um I, I know um, the Tanya, I mean the oral, came with the written books of Moshe. Um, the person who wrote all this stuff down, was that God who wrote those things directly? Or was that a rabbi who had a direct line to God? What does the word Kabbalah mean? I don't know. What does the word Kabbalah mean? To receive. Oh. Kabbalah means to receive, which means Kabbalah is not, nothing new. It was received from generation to generation. The only thing is that it wasn't spread out to the masses in every generation. And Darizal, a few hundred years ago, came and said, let's spread it out to the masses. So you ask who wrote it down. The, the oral Torah was not written until about the year 70. With the, when the Mishnah was first written by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Yehuda the Prince. But, but until that time, the whole, everything, every, every book you'll see was oral. Right, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So why did Hashem go ahead and limit Himself? Why? why? Could it, please, someone share, why did Hashem limit Himself inside of these three sections of, of Halacha, the Tanakh, and the Medrash? Reza, what's the reason? <laughs> Yosef why did Hashem limit himself within the Torah I, Yeshua I think you were going to say something well I'll take a shot and that would be that if Hashem didn't limit himself then uh, there would be no way for people to understand Hashem if, words. but why do we need to understand Hashem why do we need to that's how God set it up. Uh, just what we wanted to do is it's it's our it's the goal of our neshama. The goal of our neshama, and we're going to say why, because remember, when we go and we use our ten faculties in thought, speech, and action of Torah, as we discussed two weeks ago, then our whole body is just a Torah body. You know, this past week I was learning with my students. Why do you stand up for a Torah scholar? I understand you should stand up for someone while he's learning Torah. But you stand up for a Torah scholar, even if he's going to take a walk for his health. Why are you standing up? You stand up because he's a walking Sefer Torah. Inside of him, he is a walking Sefer Torah. You stand up when the Torah is out. You stand up when you see a Talmud Chacham. Why is he a walking Sefer Torah? Because his mind is one thing with the Torah. So when we go ahead, why did Hashem limit Himself to allow us to become one, completely one, 
with God. Let's see that inside. All this, why did God limit himself? All this in order that each neshama or ruach and nefesh, remind me, what is the neshama, ruach, and nefesh? The three parts of the soul. Remember, each soul has five parts. And we're, we're mentioning the lowest three, neshama, ruach, and nefesh. In order that all these three parts of the soul in the human body should be able to comprehend them through its faculty of understanding. And to fulfill them, this is a reference to the Torah and mitzvot, as far as they can be fulfilled in act, speech, and thought, thereby clothing itself within its ten, all its ten faculties in these three garments. We're a walking God. Of course, like, like Aviva already said, yes, every Jew has God within him. But it's not revealed. When we go ahead and we learn Torah, and we do mitzvot in every one of our 613 parts of our entity, we're, just a, we're a walking and talking God that everyone sees. During the Six-Day War, the Rebbe said, he quoted from the Pasuk, Vero Kolami Haaretz. The, ta- the Talmud quotes on the Pasuk in Deuteronomy, where it says, all the nations of the, of the land should see you and fear you. The Talmud says, what do they fear? They fear the tefillin on your head. And that is why during that time, there was a tremendous campaign to go and put on tefillin on every soldier in particular. When we do Torah and mitzvot, we're, we're talking and walking in a revealed sense. God. People could see it upon you. There's nothing greater if we, if as we mentioned, love of God means that we're connecting with God. There's no better method of connecting with God than such. Are there any questions? Yeah, correct, precisely. Niagara Falls. Did we mention this last week? The water? Mm-mm. We didn't. We did. We're going to see this now. We may have mentioned it last week. But the same water you have on top of the falls, you have on the bottom of the falls. Mm-hmm. And that is the Torah. The Talmud says, and let's look at inside of that. In, in, let's look inside of that note. Footnote 7 in your handout. Hello, Shlomo. Please read footnote number 7. Footnote number 7. Got it? Um, Rabbi Hanna. Hanina ben Ida. Rabbi Hanina ben Ida said, Why are the words of the Torah likened to water? As it is written, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye for water. This is to teach you, just as water flows from higher level to lower, so do the words of the Torah endure only with him who is meek-minded. Uh, so, the, the Talmud says, why is the Torah compared to water? Because water needs a vessel. If there's no vessel, it doesn't go in. So just like water needs a vessel, you need to be empty to receive water, so to the Torah, in order to, for the Torah to come in, you have to be Humble. You have to meek mind. It doesn't mean that you should be a, someone who has no feelings. No, it means that you're humble. That's what the Talmud says. But now we're going to give you a very, a, a very new perspective. Why is it compared to water? Therefore, the Torah has been compared to water. 
Why? For just as water descends from a higher to a lower level, so has the Torah descended from its place of glory, which is His blessed will and wisdom. For the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one and the same, and no thought can apprehend Him at all. That's the top of the faults. And the Torah has progressively descended through hidden stages. Remember we mentioned earlier the hidden stages. We, met, we gave the analogy before that with, when you use hidden stages, you're able to actually put the whole essence within the hidden stages like a father in the creation of a child. Stage after stage, within, with the descent of the worlds, until it clothes itself in corporal substances and in things of this world. <clears throat> that means the Torah started here and it descended a level and after level after level until it came down to our physical world. Comprising almost all of the commandments of the Torah, their laws. And in the combinations of material letters written with ink in a book. The Torah is written, it's, it's ink. It's gone from the ultimate spiritual level until it's completely physical. If you have a spiritual Torah, it's not a Torah recently, not recently, I should say about 15 years ago, there was a big debate. You know those microscopic, um, you know how you could write on a, have any of you, yeah. what is it, Mike, what's it called? Microfish. What? Microfish. Whatever it is, it was like a card and you could put, there was a card this big, and on it they had printed the whole Torah, they had printed the whole Tilim, like everything on this little card. And the question was, is that card holy? You know, is there ink on it, etc. But we've taken the most spiritual and we've made it the most physical. This is a true descent. And you needed these really little glasses to read it. No, you can't even read it with glasses. <laughs> Namely, the 24 volumes of the Torah, prophets, and scriptures, from here to here, all this in order that every thought should be able to apprehend them, and even the faculties of speech and action, which are on a lower level than thought, should be able to apprehend them and be closed within them. That means, not only does Hashem allow our mind to understand Him, that at least is a, is a higher level of our soul, Hashem is allowing us, through our physical action, when we put on tefillin, we're not even thinking, we're just like, or we light candles, and we, we're not into it. We go ahead and we make challah. It's just a Hashem is there in His full glory in that act. The most physical thing. So is that allowing you understanding, though, or is that allowing you the illusion thereof? I mean, that's not understanding. That's, there's, there, there is, there, I mean, there's, there's no data there. In, in, when you learn the Gemara, there is. No, but, but also the point we're trying to say is just the ability to know that when you take off challah from this stove you have touched the essence of Hashem that itself is belittling to Hashem. You're, you're te you're, if I tell you that when you go ahead and you take off challah from this stove you have, you have done an act and you have now touched the greatness of Hashem that is belittling Hashem. How could this physical act, this limited act, attach you to, some, to the limitless? So you may not understand them, but the fact that you, you, you feel that you've touched them, that itself is a, 
Right, so is that is that increasing your your understanding or is that giving you is that giving us a, a human that is only capable of comprehending the physicality mm-hmm. something to comprehend. So if if we didn't have an action then there would be nothing here for for us to connect to because our minds are so feeble that that we would have no way of connecting to something that is so super like super greater than ourselves that there is zero physicality there. I didn't. Can you say the question again? Are are we really through doing these actions? Are we are we are we gaining some perception of 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 knowing? what goes on in the Ainsof, or are we really just having some way of, of with, with the physical of acknowledging that there is there in and of itself Ainsof? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's both? Yeah. And I know David has an answer. I just want to share one thing and then we'll take his answer. And that is, in our conversation, we haven't spoken about the idea of Das, of knowledge. That hasn't been the, the conversation here. The conversation was, how could I even go ahead and say that I'm touching and I'm grasping Hashem? Grasping doesn't have to mean in knowledge. Grasping can mean, how, do, could I, how could I tell you that when you go ahead and you, you, know, you light Shabbos candles that you're touching Hashem? That itself is limiting. That was our, our th- initial question. And we're answering that Hashem has limited Himself. Did I answer the question? Sure. <laughs> okay, but I think David has another answer. David doesn't, but Rabbi Steinsaltz does. Thus, the Torah links the infinite to everyday life. It stretches upward to infinity and extends downward, step by endless step, to a level that anyone can relate to at any time, expressing the divine wisdom within the context of our reality. And our reality is a reality graspable by the body, a reality with which the body can build an involved physical relationship so that the soul dwells and operates within the body, can experience it, identify it, and fuse with it. Okay, thank you, David. Um, yes, Dr. Yosef. Um, I've heard the, the saying that uh, there are times when you need to go beyond the letter of the law. Uh, and that, that also, I suppose, is Torah, in an extended meaning of Torah. Um, but how, how does that fit in with uh, the, the, the compression uh, of, of the essence of Hashem in, in the Torah? I mean, is that, is that included? Or is that Dr. Yosef is asking, he's saying there's times the Torah needs to be broken. Am I saying correct? No, no, no. No, no so then I didn't no, understand. It's not broken. Okay. But they say, but, but some, sometimes you need to go beyond the letter of the law. In other words... Could you give me an example? Excuse well, me. I, I can. No, I, 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 just one second. I'll take it, but first I want to hear if Dr. Yosef has a... Uh, let's see. What about if we know somebody murdered somebody like 100%, but the witnesses just don't quite line up. Thank you. What do we do to them? No, well, <laughs> the example I was thinking of is, um, 
Um, there's a story that I think there people are carrying. Is it is it uh, wine bottles or a basket of something or other for somebody, and they drop it and it breaks, and so so literally they they owe him the the money for having broken the. The wine Depends on whether they were custodians but, or I not. I mean, according to the, an involved you know, the law. But because these are poor people, uh, he says, well, you, you, you know, you don't really owe me the money or something because, I mean, it's true you do, but but I'm going beyond the letter of the law, so uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, I, maybe I'm not quoting it correctly. But. No, you're, you're saying great. You're asking at the time that you need to go beyond the letter of the law, are you still connecting with Hashem? Is that the question? Yes, and if that's part of it, then why is, why wasn't that that in there in that uh, there in the first place? I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's sort of understood. Or <clears throat> okay, good question, Doctor Yosef. I, you know, I'd like to digress for a moment on that thought. Today, unfortunately, people suffer from. Attention Deficit Disorder, ADD. Mm-hmm. You know, we, but we also have, and it's, it is prevalent in the um, Jewish community, um, no, no, not a, not a disease. It's a mental, it's a mental, um, what do you have like when you stress out about something very often? Oh, PTSD? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, let's just say simple anxiety. It's a simple term, but, you know, unfortunately, anxiety do, does exist. The condition among Jews is the everybody's an expert syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to anxiety, no, no. if you ask a rabbi oftentimes, so they'll say, look, in your scenario, rather than doing what the black letter of the law is, you should do what the white letter of the law is. In other words, sometimes we'll say that you have to know it's, that this is not for you right now. There are times. There are times that we have to be able to look at a person, just like if a person is physically sick, we say we have to evaluate what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. So too, if a person is mentally sick, we have to similarly evaluate that. So the question is, when a person is told, you know, for you right now, you should put this on hold. Is, he, is that rabbi telling you you should not connect to God in that way? Or is the rabbi saying your connection to God will happen even without that? And it's the latter. It's the second. When, so, if we're at times told that we don't need to do something, we're not losing out. Actually, our connection will come without that action. You know, so when Dr. Yosef asked, if I do beyond the letter of the law, how am I connecting? Beyond the letter of the law is a clear halacha. It's something in ethics of the Father. So we're actually following a clear halacha going beyond the letter of the law. My, my point with this analogy was to bring out that anything that a person does, as long as it's something that they've checked out with their rabbi, if the rabbi tells you this is what you should be doing, then you're connecting with God through doing that. Just like... If, Someone driving a car on Shabbos, if he's doing it to save a life, that is his connection. And if he doesn't, draw, if he doesn't drive the car on Shabbos, 
in that scenario, he's actually separating himself from God. Mm. Just the Talmud in Tractate Sot that says, what is a foolish chassid? It says, if a woman is drowning and a man sees her, a foolish chassid is going to say, I'm not going to touch her. Let her drown. You know? That's a foolish chassid. Why? Because we have to know, so, oh, yes, men and women, we shouldn't interact. But if, if someone's drowning, you save them. So, so did I answer the question, Dr. Yosef? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Is this kind of Hillel versus Shemai? Perhaps. Perhaps. What does it mean? How, how could it be that God's wisdom is physical? We're saying the Torah is God's wisdom. How could it be physical? And I want to just give you one example of how although we think the Torah is physical, it could actually be spiritual. For example, and you could see this in your handout to number 9. Let's actually read it all together, number 9. Basha, if you don't mind reading, footnote number 9. This is incredible. You know, in numerous words, oftentimes you could take a word and translate it more than one way. Perik could mean lefarek to break, or peir could also mean leprakim in, in different parts. So we're able to look at the same passage, someone who learns Torah leprakim, and down here we could look at it in a negative way. We could say it's someone who learns Torah every so often. And in Gan Eden, they could learn that same quote. Someone who learns Torah Liprakim and say that the Torah takes them apart in a positive way. It's fully possessing that person. And, and there's numerous analogies where we could look at each part of the Torah and see how, although it may look completely physical, but actually there is a spiritual perspective within it. And now let's wrap up where we've been going so far in chapter 4. And that is, we started off saying how there are three garments of the soul, which are thought, speech, and action. We said that the thought, speech, and action of Torah is greater than the soul. And let's look at this next paragraph. It's really going to put it all together. Thus, since the Torah and its commandments close all ten faculties of the soul, with all its 613 organs from head to foot, it, the soul, is altogether truly bound up in the bundle of life with God, and the very light of God envelops and clothes 
it from head to foot. When we do the Torah and mitzvot, we are a walking and talking vehicle of God that is revealed to the whole world. As it is written, God is my rock. I will take refuge in Him. That means we're going to find refuge. Our whole body will be enclosed inside of God. And it is also with, written, with favor, ratzon, will I encompass Him as a shield. That is to say, with His with His blessed will and wisdom, which are clothed in His Torah and His commandments. If you look inside of these words, you see a most wondrous thing. We see that when we, when we learn Torah and mitzvot, there are two methods of our connection to God. There is our connection to God, and, it's God, and there is God's connection to us. And that is why we said, the soul is truly bound up in the bundle of life with God. That is a connection to our connection to God. The soul is, the soul is truly bound up. And the second level is, and the very light of God envelops and closes us. So we have this tremendous attachment. It's not a one-way, it's not a one-way street. It's not we're connecting to God, but God is like, oh, Nebuch, these poor human beings trying to attach to me. No. We connect to Hashem, and Hashem reciprocates back to us. He's like, wow, I'm so excited to be able to connect to you, David. You thought about that? How God is really excited to be able to connect with you? Every day. Good. If we think about every day, if we, if we could really think about this, how our connection to God is something that God looks forward to, oh, true, that will give us all the energy we need to really be able to fulfill the Torah and Mitzvot. Are there any questions? Thus it has been said, better one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than the whole life in the world. <laughs> David is skipping ahead. There's a, <laughs> there's a wonderful section and, and I'd like to, with your permission, go a few moments over time. Is that okay? Of course. And I'd like to talk about this next piece. It is tremendous. We say it is better a moment in this world than the whole world to come. Aviva, what does that mean? This world, the one moment, is better than the whole world to come? Well, there's such an emphasis on having a body with which one can perform mitzvot. And there's such an emphasis that we do it for our dead parents. <laughs> and Yisker and all that. Correct. But why? Why? God set up the world so that we help God bring Mashiach to help God finish the creation. Correct. But why is one minute in this world better than the whole world to come? And let me confuse you. Oh. I'd like to confuse you. Um, That's easy. Well, <laughs> watch this. Wow, that'll be different. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Schwartz, if you could please read footnote number 10. Listen carefully, because this is confuser. And the Yaakov would also say, a single moment of repentance of the good deeds in this world is greater than all of the world to come. And a single moment of bliss in the world to come is greater than all of the present world. Okay, so let me repeat this back. One minute in this world is greater than all of the world to come, and one minute in the world to come is greater than all of this world. Aviva, what does that mean? It's confusing. <laughs> well, you said more than Okay, okay, good, correct. So correct me, please. It's a what? moment of repentance versus a moment of bliss. 
Very good. Okay, that's a good observation. It says a single moment of repentance. Good. Just clowning around in this world is certainly not, is certainly not good. A moment of repentance. Good observation. What's the other observation? It should be a moment of bliss in this world, not uh, a moment of bliss in the world to come. What? In this, in this world, you could, you could do things. I mean, you know, you have a body and you can put out the fill in and you can help other people and all that. And in the world to come, I don't know, we're very nebulous or something. But you, you can't do those things. Yeah, but in the world to come. Well, aren't we talking about being close to Hashem in either case? Yeah. Where in, when you're in the physical world, it's through repentance and good deeds that brings you close. And presumably in the world to come, a moment of bliss must be closest to Hashem as well. So you're saying they're equal? Um, well, that would, that would be a problem if we say they're equal. It's on the other side of the mirror. But, well, no, it would, it would seem to intimate that a, a single moment of bliss in the world to come is greater than all of our time here in, in the present world. So uh, all of the joy, or however you want to look at it, that you are able to glean from this world, a singular moment of bliss in the world to come will encompass that all. Maybe from the point of view of Hashem, the, uh, the, 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 what you do in this world is, is the important thing. But in terms of what, you know, how rewarded you feel, you're going to feel more rewarded in the world to come than in the present world. That's so, a great answer. I mean, it's a perspective. Great answer. Yes. Yes, uh, David. There is no thought, speech, and action in the world to come. Judaism exercises a strong influence on here and now. And as a footnote, that is a significant and a terribly important difference between those on the other side who would invoke the Judeo-Christian tradition. There is no Judeo-Christian tradition unless you're a Christian. We don't care about heaven. Heaven is not the point. The point is living what Hashem expects of us in thought, speech, and action here and now and think about the hereafter as the conclusion but do not dwell on it because in fact until the Mashiach we have been we are put back in the mix to go out and do it over not in the hereafter Rashi says Rashi says what is the simple meaning of this Mishnah? It's very confusing. Rashi says, he, he takes it a very literal like Rashi does. He says, one minute of repentance is better than the whole world to come because there's no world to come if you don't have a minute of repentance on this world. Okay. That means if you leave this world without a moment of repentance, you ain't going to, simply speaking, you're not going to the world to come. So therefore, Rashi says it's a step stool. One moment of repentance, of course it's better because you don't have anything without that. I'd like to offer you the Hasidic perspective. A knockout. Let's see it inside. S yes? I was just wondering, it makes me think of um, when you go to a cemetery, you're not supposed to be on this cemetery yes. because it brings the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A good, good observation for that reason, like everyone's saying. When you go to a cemetery, Basha's pointing out, we should put our tefillin, actually, we should hide our, our tzitzis, we should hide it inside of our pants. Because we don't want the people buried there to be able to see the tzitzis. Because they can't do mitzvot and we don't want to embarrass them. Loyik larash. We don't want to laugh and scoff at the people buried there. And, and that's on the same lines. Because in this world we can do mitzvot, in the world to come we can't. Yes? 
I got a question. For the people that are buried there, their souls have gone up to heaven anyway. It's just their bodies that are... I have a problem with what you're saying. Okay. A personal problem. Could I quote this on a personal level? Yes. Do you mind? Am I in trouble? No, no, no. On the contrary, I want to point out. I want to point out yesterday, unfortunately I couldn't make it, but Hillel Shlomo had a ceremony in honor of his father, correct? Mm -hmm. what, what was it called again? What, what an, did unveiling? An, an, an unveiling. An well, unveiling. So I'm curious, why would you put, why would you make an unveiling if the soul is not there? Well, as Rabbi Rose said uh, in his speech yesterday, I think J Jason will verify it. Uh, my dad's neshama was shining over us at that point. Have you ever gone to pray at the gravesite of any holy person? Have you ever gone to the uh, to the kosa to the um, Kotel? Not to the Kotel. Have you ever gone to the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, the place where Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov and their wives are buried? In Israel? In Israel, Al Hebron. Yeah. Why did you go there? Because I was on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just nudging you. What I wanted to say is... But I, I, I apologize. <laughs> what I want to say is that no, the soul actually is found there. Yeah. The soul is in heaven, but also part of the soul is there. Okay. Yeah. That, that I can buy. <laughs> So far, you agree with two things tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. Okay, but I'm still confused. Though. It's not done in really a mitzvah, and it's being done at the cemetery, because you're saying we don't want to do mitzvahs, but I thought there are mitzvahs like we're burying the dead. Oh, you're doing like dirt. I mean, there's something, certain kind of mitzvahs that are done there. You're doing it on behalf of that. Uh, you're doing it on behalf of that soul. Mm -hmm. So the soul is happy yeah. to see that. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Any mitzvah you do on behalf of a soul mm -hmm. elevates that soul. Okay. That's why it's important for children to do a mitzvah for someone that has passed on, because that is the only method possible for that soul to have an elevation. That's why we have stories of people running to find children of a deceased, because without that child saying Kaddish, the soul may not be able to enter into heaven. Well, that's it. May I ask a simple question? Yes. Why do we call earth dirt? It's, it's a foul word. It is? Dirt, yes, is a foul word. I never knew that. I thought dirt was dirt. Dirt implies dirty. Dirty implies Soil or earth is not a dirty word. Dirty implies earthy. I, I only know Hebrew and the Hebrew... Yeah, the, I was going to say, the Hebrew is not. The Hebrew is much cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> I hear your question. Maybe our, our professional teacher could tell us why dirt and dirty have the same sound. Well, obviously the root dirt and dirty are the same, but um, uh, insofar as whether it implies something uh, drakisha or not, no, because dirt is the stuff from which life comes. Which and it, dirt is the stuff from what, which life comes. Yes. And how was Adam created? Soil, soil, earth. It's just the word, you know, dirt is not a, not a nice word. Probably because it's a dirty Anglo-Saxon word, and we know all about what, those folks. Excuse me. Where, Soil is French, and is we have that word too. This is something you grew up with, this mm -hmm. concept. And may I ask where you're from? South Africa. 
So I never knew that. That might just be a continental mistranslation. Mm -hmm. I have never, and I read, but uh, dirt is dirt. That's why he always gets into Dutch. There, um, the word for ground or earth is velt, and it's the same in Yiddish. So uh, we could just as easily use velt. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I did want to finish this piece, but we'll leave it for another time. I've got the answer, but it's, I'll show it to you after we're done. It's an etymological derivation of the word dirt. And I looked it up in... But before we conclude, I'd like, I'd like to make two observations. Number one is a summary. Today we've established that, yes, we, the limited, are able to, to touch the limitless, and that is God's humility that He has allowed us to connect with Him through learning the Torah, through halacha, through, through saying the words of the Tanakh, through the Midrash, the Agada, etc. That is the humility of God. We, we began trying to, and we concluded after that, that thus, when we go ahead and we learn Torah and mitzvot, and do mitzvot, we're connecting our entire being to God, we're being, we are a godly being. And we left off with the question that why does the Mishnah say that one moment in this world is better than the entire world to come and then it says one moment of bliss in the world to come is better than this whole world. I'd just like to conclude talking about the question that Yosef asked. Yosef asked, what is the connection between dirt and dirty? I don't know the answer and we'll hear momentarily from Yeshua. But I do want to tell you something really cool. There's a curse word called Am Haaretz. Mm -hmm. It's not a real curse word. But it used to be, if you would talk 300 years ago, you would talk to a big Torah scholar, his curse to someone could be you're an Am Haaretz, you're an ignoramus. You're a person of the earth. Am Haaretz, you're a person of the earth. It was a real curse word. Came along with Yisrael Baal Shem Tov 300 years ago, and he said, he said, you're foolish to think that Am Haaretz is a curse word. He said, the biggest treasures are found in the ground. If you dig, you could find gold. You never know what you'll find in the ground. He said, calling someone a man of the, man of the earth, that's the biggest compliment possible. Am Haaretz. The biggest treasures are all deep inside of the earth. So rather than, than being a negative thing, it's a compliment to say that you are a man of the earth. If I dig deep inside of each and every one of us, we'll find big gems. Okay, thank you very much.